Villain. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Monday, April 24th, 2023. And the word is villain. We have used villain in sports since the beginning of time. It really came into focus, I felt, during COVID when The Last Dance came out and Michael Jordan was talking about what motivated him and how he found a way to take his game to another level. And it happened again not with Michael Jordan, but with the second greatest GOAT, which is redundant, LeBron James had a thing with Dylan Brooks. And people are viewing Dylan Brooks of the Memphis Grizzlies with some unbelievable lens that he has become this villain. So to help you get some understanding of where we are, we're in the National Basketball Association in a playoff series between the Lakers and the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies who are the number two seed the Lakers who are the number seven seed. The Lakers are winning the series. LeBron James is the best player that we've seen, if you haven't seen Jordan. And Dylan Brooks is fine. He's making 35 million over three years. He's on the last year of his deal. He's a nice piece. That's all he is. He is not a superstar by any stretch. And he got into it with LeBron James and the media lost its mind. The fans did too a bit, but really this is a media creation and it's been bothering me all weekend. Dylan Brooks got vilified by the media and then refused to meet the media after the game. So the previous game, Dylan Brooks has this issue. He gets a flagrant and now people are wondering, is he the dirtiest player of all time? He apparently hit LeBron in the jimmy. There's been a lot of that. Uh, this weekend, James Harden got ejected for a potential groin shot. So I guess they're really focused on protecting everybody's crown jewels, as LeBron called them. That's probably the word, 20 synonyms for the area. But all of that said, Dylan Brooks, the game ends. If you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you have one job to do if you are in PR. Dylan Brooks has got to meet the media after the game. You can't make him unavailable. You sit him down, you got plenty of time to do it. And you explain to him, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to say. And here it is. We're going to say that play was completely unintentional. Why would I do anything to motivate LeBron James? Why would I do anything to possibly make him have a reason to hate me, hate us, and play better? I'm just not going to do it. It's as old as father time. The whole bulletin board thing which I have downplayed to you in the past, and I don't view it as dispositive. I don't think that when someone creates a bulletin board moment that that makes a good team great or a bad team good. It's just in the back of your head like, hey, let's get them. But then if you start missing your shots or all of a sudden you're facing a great pitcher and you're not getting hits, it doesn't matter that there was amazingly exciting, lascivious and prurient bulletin board material. It just matters that you're not the better team. But that said, if you're the Grizzlies, you're not doing anything to sort of wake up the Lakers, if that's a word that you would use that is even possible to do by not meeting the media or by hurting LeBron James or trying to hurt LeBron James or saying that you were trying to hurt him, which he didn't do. 
attempting to really hurt him, which he didn't do. So he doesn't meet the media. Not available. Then they play another game, and he does meet the media. And the only thing he came up with was the media is making me a villain. The fans are making me a villain. And that creates a whole different persona on me. So now you all think I intended to hit LeBron James in the I'm playing basketball. So the Grizzlies changed their mind and said, we're going to make Brooks available. We'll do it in between days. We'll do it after a practice. But that is not when you're supposed to handle an issue. When you run a team, it's sort of easy to know what to do. It's not as hard as you think when you have an issue that has a chance to impact a game or has a chance to be a distraction. You tourniquet it, right? I just said right again. I don't know why. I haven't said that in so long. You tourniquet it. Turn a kit it. Four, eight, 69. You stop it in its tracks. So you have Brooks meet the media, which he didn't. And I was thinking, what would be their reason? The only time we would let a player off the hook is if the player indicated to us that he either A, was not understanding the messages we wanted him to deliver, or B, he was not able to deliver the messages. Not because of lack of intelligence, no. Because he was so emotional, or so angry, or so disagreeing with our position of what we wanted him to say. And if we made that evaluation that he would not be in a position to say what we needed him to say, we would consider not making that player available. Only consider. But I don't know that there's a time that that actually would have won the day. Because when you don't meet the media, you end up saying more than if you meet the media. So Dylan Brooks, prior to not meeting the media, had made some comments about LeBron. You, you read them, right? The comments were that he's old and that we're not scared of him and we, I poke bears. I don't respect no one until they come and give me 40. I mean, come on. It's not bold and more material. It's just stupid. I've been thinking about what makes players great versus what makes players mediocre. LeBron James has never shied away and I'm certainly not going to speak in those sort of absolutes because I don't know that he has never not spoken to the media, but he strikes me as someone, and I believe I can back this up relatively correctly, that he's going to face it. When there's something to say, he's going to say it. He's not going to necessarily talk about the politics that you want to talk about or not take a position that you want to take and talk about Jordan or LeBron may not say the things in the exact order at the exact time, but he's not going to shy away from his superstar responsibilities to which you're going to say to me, I like having these conversations with myself like Hugh Prather or that's notes to myself for those paying attention. Go check it out. It's an amazing book of poems. You are not going to find him not understanding what it is to be LeBron James. Is it an excuse that you can act differently if you're not the superstar? Something that I often think about actually, is mediocrity an excuse to not achieve? If you know you're not the captain of the team, if you know you're not the best player on the team, does that give you the cover to fade into the background? Does it give you the ability to say, I'm not in charge of the company, I'm not the CEO, I'm not the chairman, I'm not the president, I'm not even a starter. Those things happen inside the clubhouse, 
where there is a hierarchy, where there is general feeling about who is the veteran, who is not, who should speak, who should not, but not when it comes to doing your job. I was watching before the game when LeBron James decided to meet with Dylan Brooks on the court and then told the media after that was purposeful that he wanted to make it public that he was speaking to Dylan Brooks about what he was speaking to him about. And I found that to be interesting because like many people, LeBron James is completely calculating. And his calculation was that I'm going to let this player know that I am not going to accept what he did without consequence. I want him to feel what he did. Will that help inform his behavior going forward? Will it embarrass him into changing his behavior? There's only certain things that ever can motivate a player or a person to change. Embarrassment is certainly on the list, maybe top five. I would say that bankruptcy is one. Having no money changes sort of what you can do, what you can buy. Having no platform can change what you say. None of it should change what you think. None of it should change who you are as a person. But there are so many ancillary things that can take place that can have an impact into what you do. LeBron James knows that every camera is going to be on him. He knows that by speaking to Dylan Brooks, and make no mistake, players go to the other side all the time without cameras. They'll go outside the visiting clubhouse. They'll go behind in the tunnel if they've got something to do. Coco, what was the player? They had a fantasy football, uh, fantasy football issue on the baseball field, and he went right up to it. Tommy Pham, he slapped Jock Peterson. Do you remember when he did that? Tommy Pham was on the field during BP and they were in a league or they had a dispute and he went up to him and slapped him. And at the time we said, that's so crazy. He could have gone right into the visiting clubhouse or the home clubhouse, wherever it was, right to the door. The club, he would have brought him out and he could have beat the crap out of him there and no one would have seen it. It, it would have been a non-story. But embarrassing someone publicly the way he did, it's sort of a, it's a power play, isn't it? So LeBron makes the power play. Dylan Brooks has to walk it back and try, try to play the victim. Meanwhile, the Lakers, the seventh seed, are beating the Grizzlies. Who's gonna get the last laugh? One thing that is important to me is the last laugh. That's something that's happened. I think, again, so many things go back to your childhood. So many things go back to me wanting to get the last laugh in almost an Albert Brooks broadcast news type of way. I wanted to always make sure that no matter who is better than I on the field or no matter who is bigger than I or who got the, the prettier girl, prettier prom date, whatever the case was, I wanted to always make sure I got the last laugh. And sometimes the last laugh, you have to live a while. Sometimes it comes a year later, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But if you, and it's not about holding grudges, it's about always wanting to improve and always wanting to win. That's what being competitive is. The last laugh in the Dylan Brooks situation is very simple for LeBron. He's not looking at hurting his career. He's not saying that Dylan Brooks can never be my teammate. He's not saying that he wishes ill on Dylan, his family, nothing. The last laugh is very simple. It's eliminating the Grizzlies. And then he's going to move on to the next bit of motivation, a la Jordan in the last dance. So wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. 
And I'm going to go an official way to see, and I, I actually don't know the numbers on this, Coca. Are the Lakers favored now to win the series? I assume they've got to be minus money up to one with game four tonight. But that said, the Lakers are going to finish off the Grizzlies. They will win this series. But this way to see is going to have two parts because as I'm watching the Western Conference and I'm paying attention to the Nuggets, I'm paying attention to the Suns, I'm watching the teams play, the Warriors, the Kings. There's just something about LeBron that he has this feeling that you think that he's not good enough anymore. And when he thinks that we think that, and he still has the legs and AD, how about this? Lakers are going to finish the Grizzlies and make it to the conference finals. They're going to win their next round too. That's the wait to see. This is such an interesting time in, in the playoffs right now. The first round's coming to an end, setting up for the conference semis. It's a big difference, right? You don't say second round. You go right to conference semis. Then you win the second round. You're in the conference finals. Basically, you're in the final four. This first round gets you to the, what, what do they call it in college basketball? The, the elite eight, maybe. So there's a lot of different storylines. One of the big ones has been this Warriors-Kings series and what happened with Draymond Green. We absolutely uh, covered that. But somebody entered the conversation yesterday that I wasn't sure why they would do that. And it was Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers talked about Draymond Green. And this is Doc Rivers, the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, who just swept the Nets and they're into the Elite Eight right now. And they've got a problem with an injury. Joel Embiid has a knee injury. He may or may not be ready to play in the second round. They don't know yet. But Doc Rivers, for whatever reason, started talking about Draymond Green. And what he said, I loved. And I, I don't understand the timing, but I certainly appreciate the sentiment. He said, I don't think Draymond Green should have been suspended. I disagree with that part, but wait to the end of it. And this is Doc Rivers talking about Draymond Green's suspension. He said, I think the league is setting up a very dangerous precedent right now. This is not me campaigning. I'm dead serious. And here's where the conversation comes that interested me. If we're going to start punishing the retaliators and not the instigators, then we've got a problem in this league. So, Doc, it's as old as the playground. You never want to be the second person in the fight, the second hit, the second scream, the second comment. The retaliator always gets the punishment more than the instigator. Am I the only one who heard him say that and said, wow, it's not just a precedent in basketball, it's a precedent in life. The retaliators get punished more, which is why you tell your kids, why you tell your players, don't take the bait. Put your hands in the air and step away from the kerfuffle. Because what the referees are doing is they're looking at what made it worse. The league is looking at what made it worse. And the league is going to punish. The teachers are going to punish. Your parents are going to punish. How many of you have siblings? How many of you got into fights with your siblings and you were totally instigated, totally prompted and primed and primped and pumped, and all of a sudden you couldn't take any more whack and you're the one who gets punished? You lose the Game Boy or Atari, Ping, Pong, 
or Mattel or whatever your game is, you get it taken away by mom because you're the one who got caught and you plead your case. That's what, that's what every retaliator does. It's page one of the retaliator set me free playbook. It's you didn't see what he, she, they did. You are not paying attention. I had no choice but to do an open hand slap or I had no choice but to push or shove or bite or whatever it is that retaliators do or stomp in the Draymond Green case. Why would Doc Rivers think that the NBA is going to do that? No league does that. Even when they go back to the video, they want to punish retaliators more because they want to lower the volume. Doc Rivers said, and why he's talking about this still is beyond me when he's got to worry about his own team. I do think if you started and you're going to suspend Draymond, you have to suspend the other guy too. You don't want to call him, just his name is Sabonis. You created it, you go too. So if you want to do that, you're putting yourself in a chance if the guy does respond where you can go too. I think we have to come up with something like that. So what Doc Rivers would like to do in the world of basketball, and maybe he wants it to be in the world of life, off the, off the court, just in your office, is that everybody knows if you do anything, you say anything, you do any sort of physical touching, any sort of thing outside of the norm, grab an ankle, forward an email, that you shouldn't have forwarded, let's even make it non-physical. If you instigate anything that's passive aggressive or even active aggressive, that if the retaliation comes, then there'll be dual punishment. I love this because then there's a whole level of gamesmanship. And the level is, if I wanna get somebody suspended or fired, I'm thinking about this, what I could do. I could instigate anything. The retaliation would come. I'm not worried about it because I know the retaliator is gonna get in trouble, but if they change the rules where the instigator gets suspended or fired too, then all of a sudden I'm not gonna instigate anything unless I thought for my team the trade was worth it. Where has this happened? Let me think. Ty Domi, I'm looking at you. How are you, Ty? Great guy, by the way. Hugely successful right now after his playing career's ended. Nick Fateu, how about the Hanson brothers? Instigating is a way of life. There are people in hockey that are brought on the ice where you know they're on the ice to start a fight and it's a great trade. The trade is that you bring on the fighter, the fighter gets a major minor, but the person he fights also gets it and the person they go after is the skills guy, the heart candidate. That's the heart trophy. All right, Doc, focus on the second round, would you please? They're not gonna change it. Don't retaliate. So football, we're gonna switch courses right now to football and we're gonna to switch to gambling. I wanna to get to this right now and spend some time on this. If you were not reading this, cause it's not football season, there were suspensions that came out this weekend in the NFL and not minor ones. The first round pick of the Detroit Lions, a wide receiver named Jamison Williams. You may not know him, he was hurt for a bit of last year. He's been suspended for a year for violating the NFL gambling policy. 
and there are a couple players who were suspended for six games. I think there were four Detroit Lions and one uh, and one uh, Washington Commander. So the best player, Jamison Williams of that group, was suspended for six games. Some of the players were suspended for a year. And the difference that the NFL made is certain players were suspended because they bet on the NFL. Certain players were suspended because they placed what otherwise would have been legal bets illegally. And the definition of illegally placed bets in the NFL, one of them, is doing it on campus. So when you're in a stadium, when you're in a practice facility, you're not allowed to put bets in. And so the players put in bets while they were at a game or while they were at a practice, and that was a major problem. So I want to talk about Jamison Williams, who's the star of this group, and what we talk about often are PR statements that are bad, agents who are not paying attention, players who are not properly trained, and we'll call them out. But I think it's only fair when a statement comes out that is pitch perfect and every word is, is perfectly placed. I think we got to call out that too. Jamison Williams' representative put out a statement immediately after this happened. They're Alliance Sports, and they said, Alliance Sports confirms that its client, Jamison Williams, has been suspended by the NFL for six games for violating the NFL's gambling policy. Jamison takes full responsibility for his actions and is very apologetic to the NFL, his teammates, and the fans and city of Detroit. I quibble a little bit. You could have mentioned front office in there because I'm a front office guy, and generally you would put that somewhere in there, but NFL first is right in this case. Teammates, good organization, I would have put it in. However, it's important to note that Jamison's violation was not for betting on football, but rather due to a technical rule regarding the actual location in which the online bet was placed and which would otherwise be allowed by the NFL outside of the club's facility. So there you are being explained why he's not like the other guys who are suspended a year, why he's not like Pete Rose. He did not bet on football. Jameson would never intentionally jeopardize the integrity of the game he loves so much and looks forward to getting back to his team as soon as possible. It's a great statement, and the NFL has a great problem. And here's the great problem that they have. The NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, EPL, every single league, everywhere in the world, we are all in bed. That's a dollar, Coca. They are all in bed with gambling, with the sports books. They're taking the sponsorship dollars. And the reason why they are taking the sponsorship dollars, they're not the only ones, by the way. The sponsorship dollars are flowing everywhere. Look at where you're listening to this podcast, Metal Arc Media. DraftKings has a deal with Metal Arc. FanDuel has a deal with McAfee that he either is or is not trying to get out of. This is very, very common right now. And the question is, for people who are not on the field or involved directly in the game, it's an outstanding topic. You can get on the Levitard show. You can get on Nothing Personal wherever you want. You can talk about the bets you've made. You can talk about DraftKings and, and all the things they're doing. And it's totally fine. Because we have nothing to do with the outcome of the game that we are betting on. There's not one thing we can do in the media as fans. You can heckle. You can predict. You can instigate. 
call back to the beginning of the show, but you are not going to impact the game. But if you are a president of a team, or if you are a player on a team or a GM or a coach, I think it's pretty clear that you can impact a game. And if you can impact a game, therefore, there is a possibility that you could be subject to strong-arming, shall we say, by those who would like a certain result. Do you remember the topic we did on the WWE when they want to make that a gambling product? And the problem is it's scripted. The problem with that, like betting on the Oscars as an example, is somebody knows. Somebody knows how long the anthem's gonna be. What we don't know is what's gonna happen in a game. Who's gonna win? We know who's favored because there's a point spread. But in theory, 50% of the people will think that that number will be passed. 50% will think that number will not be hit. Those are people who bet the favorite or bet the underdog. The players on the court, they know exactly the line of a game. And if they do anything to change the outcome of a game, let's pretend that you are getting eight points and you're down nine and the game's over and you know the line, you can dribble out the clock and you don't cover, or you can go the length of the floor and lay in a two-pointer and all of a sudden you cover, but it is meaningless to the outcome of the game. If the player making that decision in basketball, as an example, or in football, when you could choose not to tackle someone at the end of a game or choose to try to score, choose to try to go for two instead of one, no matter what your coach says or what if your coach is involved, and it's right around the line, how many times have we seen it? We call it a bad beat. A bad beat is supposed to be based on luck, not intent. A bad beat is supposed to be based on circumstance that you cannot believe possibly could happen, and then it does. What would you view that scenario if it were actually done intentionally? I think it would pretty much change your view of the league, which is why all the leagues right now are so focused on competitive integrity, why they are so serious about punishing those who gamble, why they've got to make it clear that people who were gambling legally, and I don't mean fans, I mean players, the NFL and the CBA in the NFL allows players to place online wagers. Don't do it from the facility. Do not do it from the hotel. You have to be in a certain place at a certain time. And then by the way, it can't be on the NFL. Is that enough? That's what I've been thinking about this weekend. The NFL, these are names. This is the equivalent of someone being suspended for steroids in Major League Baseball, who's good but not great. I mean, I, I call, what, what, Coco, where do you have him, right? Jamison Williams is not a top 10 wide receiver. The Detroit Lions are not a top 10 team by any stretch. What happens if Patrick Mahomes gets suspended for the season? What happens if they catch Mahomes? It's the same thing as catching a superstar doing steroids. You think the Major League Baseball was excited to spend Fernando Tatis for steroids? No, not excited at all. They had to move on to the next face of the game. Is there a face of the game after Mahomes? Sure. But they have got to be careful. So what's my suggestion? And this is what I spent the weekend thinking about. 
Nobody in the NFL is surprised that there are suspensions. No one is, is surprised that people are betting, the players are betting on sports. No one can be surprised that they're using their phone where they shouldn't use it. It was a rule that was put into place that you can't possibly follow. Players are on their phone at facilities, at stadiums, at hotels. That's their plan. That's where they are. It's the lesser of two evils. I'd rather have my players stay in their hotel room on the road than go out. They're going to get in way more trouble going out. So if they want to place bets online on their app while they're in the hotel, as long as it's not on football, I got to be okay with that. Right now, we are in the infant stages of understanding the relationship of competitive integrity and money, competitive integrity and gambling. This is going to be evolving over the next five or 10 years, and we are going to see rule changes because as gambling continues to become more legal in more states, which it is, it's sort of, to me, gambling is on the weed expressway. It's going to happen everywhere. The leagues are going to have to both work together and potentially with Washington as they figure out how to protect that which has made them rich. And the protection involves the on-field product. Let's watch this story. Jamison Williams is going to miss six games, but the bigger story is what the NFL will continue to do to ensure that we don't think for a minute that the NFL is the WWE. All right, we come back. We're going to review a series that just ended called Jury Duty. I cannot wait to talk about it with you since you're all talking about it anyway, and you should. And then we're going to talk about Pete Alonzo. One of you asked a question about Pete Alonzo that I loved. Uh, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Different background today. Uh, make sure you're listening to this. We're live Monday to Friday, 8 a.m., no matter where I am. I'll also be uh, in studio in Miami on the Levitard show for a bit today. So uh, that's why there's no Wilson, there's no Jersey, there's no nothing. It's just me. But I got the microphone. Thank you, Coca. It's totally working, mostly. All right, I still watch a movie every day or a series. Coca called me and told me to watch Jury Duty, and I watched it, and I had the last two episodes, which dropped this past Friday, so all eight are now available. Here's the story with Jury Duty. It's the story of a fake trial where everybody is an actor, the jury, the lawyers, the defendant, the plaintiff, the judge, everybody's an actor except for one guy on the jury. They did a casting call to have people who wanted to serve on jury duty, who wanted to be part of a documentary about the process of jury duty. So this guy answers the ad, he's a, just a guy. He's not an actor, he's a guy. He answers, he gets cast, and all of a sudden he puts a microphone on and they're filming him. So he just assumes it's a real judge and a real voir dire where they picked the jury and real opening statements in a real case. They had witnesses. They had boring pauses. They had it to sequester the jury because also on the jury was a celebrity, sort of James Martin, 
Not sort of. James Marsden. You've heard of him, Enchanted. You've heard of him. He was in that great in Dead to Me. He's stuck. Anyway. So Jury Duty goes through seven episodes of an actual trial where the craziest stuff happens that will have you on the floor. Episode eight is the reveal, and episode eight goes through how it all went down. This is the talk of the water cooler. If you want to be cool, hip, watch Jury Duty. And I would not have you watch crap to be cool. I would watch you, tell you to watch brilliance so you could laugh, smile, and then talk about it. Get all eight episodes in. Here's the thing that Coco was worried about, I was not as worried about, they're commercials. It's on Amazon, but it's part of this freebie new thing, even though you're an Amazon Prime member, so the commercials are like a minute or a minute and a half. I used to consider that a deal breaker, but now, if you're watching this on Nothing Personal YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, I'm telling you exactly what I do during commercials. Reading glasses go on, phone comes out, check an email, go on Twitter, look at the rundown for the next day's show, and then look up, and then the show starts again. It is perfect for the ADD in me. It keeps it flowing. Jury duty. Please watch it right now. You will not be sorry. All right, Coca, play some music, please. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's from the movie Half-Baked. There's a character named Samson. Get in my Twitter, David P. Samson, if you're still on Twitter, which I think you are. Hit follow and ask a question in the DMs. If I don't see it, you may need to bring it back to the top by doing it again. And then if I don't respond, it's because I may answer it on a show. I may answer it during a mailbag. I may not answer it at all. I Get to as many as I can, I promise. You can also go on Instagram, at David P. Samson, hit follow. David. I am writing this in the middle of the night. Figured you were awake. Uh, I didn't see this right when you wrote this, but I appreciate it. Why haven't the Met signed Pete Alonso? He will have a better season than Judge did last year. If Steve Cohn wants to win, he would have signed him already. Mm, that's a scrumptious question. Thank you for asking that. Pete Alonso is the first baseman for the Mets, the endless vast valley of payroll availability where their players, they're, I, <laughs> I'm all for mished right now. The Mets have the highest payroll in baseball. The Mets have three guys making over $30 million. Scherzer at 43, Verlander at 43, Lindor at 33. They are what I would consider to be a team that has taken the rules as they exist, gotten a really wealthy owner who's willing to allocate losses to try to win a World Series in the first five years of his team while he takes advantage of all certain other financial tricks that make the losses not hurt as badly. I get what he does. We've covered it before. But when you have a player who is not yet a free agent, who is one of the top 10 players in the league, he finished eighth in the MVP last year. He's a power hitting first baseman. He got, like, if you go over his last, the last three years, he's just hitting home runs. He's averaging, like, 43 home runs a year. He drives in runs like crazy. And for all of you uh, analytic people out there who don't think that run, runs batted in matter or who don't think that driving in runs matters, uh, you're wrong because the way we view it is that we need to score runs. 
And if you score more runs than the other team, you win. So when you've got a guy who, when people are on base, hits well and drives him in, you like that. Pete Alonso is only 28 years old. He's going to be a free agent, but not until the year after next. So Pete Alonso is currently signed to a two-year deal. What does that mean? Again, that means the Mets don't know exactly what they're going to have to pay him next year, but he is their property. The Mets are not going to trade Pete Alonso, but what year will it be after next year in the Steve Cohn era? Anyone have an answer for that? Have you been paying attention to how many years Steve Cohn's owned the team and what his three to five year plan is? Anybody? Okay. So if you sign Pete Alonso right now to what he wants as a 28 year old, right? In theory, he's younger than Judge. He'll be a free agent at 29. I believe that's the correct math, Coca playing into 30. Let's say that he gets a 10-year deal. 10 years, 30 million a year. Is Pete Alonso going to be a $300 million player? Does that fit in with what Steve Cohn wants to do? Does it fit into the payroll that he will not be able to sustain going forward? Or do you wait to see how the team does right now and decide whether or not you're going to have to replace Scherzer and Verlander, who are still going to be signed? Verlander has another year. Scherzer has a player option, which he's going to exercise you got to figure out that you still owe Quintana. You signed to a two-year deal. He's not going to play next year. And then he's done. You just brought in Singa, gave him $15 million a year. Remember when you're building a team, you are paying attention to this year's payroll, but you're also looking at next year, the year after. You're going out five years. And are you slotting in Pete Alonso right now at 30 to $33 million? Or are you seeing whether or not you have someone else in your system who can replace him, whether or not you can identify someone in a trade who can replace him, whether or not you want him to be the person you are going to build your team around him and Lindor on the position player side? There's no reason to make the decision yet at all. If he has a year like Aaron Judge, then he's going to cost you more in arbitration and then still as a free agent, but it still doesn't mean that you sign him. Pete Alonso looks at the deals that are getting players into their 40s, and he can reasonably ask for a 12-year deal at this point. Why would you do it, even if you're Steve Cohn? I draw your attention to the Houston Astros. This is what teams are doing. They're looking at the Astros. They're looking at their continued dominance, their dynasty, and they recognize that every once in a while, like every year, you let a player leave. You bring in a young player and you keep it moving. Do you remember, and I thought about this when I was learning in baseball and Coca, this is a while ago. The Philadelphia Phillies were a team I was following because they were always in the division I was in because I spent my entire career in the NL East. And they signed a player uh, they named Jim Tomei. He was their first baseman and they signed him to an extension and they had a player ready to go whose name was Ryan Howard. They brought Ryan Howard in, who became a World Series winning MVP. They signed him to a big deal. And then by the end of his big deal, he was terrible too. And they were ready for their next first baseman. You have to stop that from continuing to happen. There's always the next guy coming. There's always the next great player. There's always the next. 
you make your bed with certain players, but don't put yourself in a position where you're wrong. It's way easier to sign 10 guys who are young to those six-year long-term deals, know you're gonna get a few wrong. It's not a huge financial investment. If you're a rich team, you can do this. You get it wrong, and then you move on and you pretend that you've got all these players signed to long-term deals. But signing top free agents, having that many players over $30 million, you have to be right, even the Mets. And I've constantly told you the Mets can make mistakes that the Royals or the Marlins or the Guardians can make, and that's true. But that doesn't meet, mean that you aim to make the mistakes. So I get as a fan what you're saying. I really do. But the reason the Mets haven't signed Alonzo is they don't need to, and why would you give in to his wants right now? It's stupid even for Steve Cohn. And if Pete Alonzo hits 62 or hits 70, tip your cap. But what happens if he hits 62 and you're like the Yankees and you don't even make it out of October? You don't win the pennant. You don't win the World Series. Is that a success? Not to me. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are 60 and 56. We had two bets for you Friday. Remember we had the Angels and Otani winning by more than one and a half runs? Well, they did. That was a pretty easy one. Otani, are you watching what he's doing? Has there been, side note, Coca, not in the rundown. I was thinking about Otani. I believe after five starts, he has an ERA under one. I think it could be like .63, just completely ridiculous. He's also has five or six home runs as a hitter. He is doing it again. So far, we're not even a month in yet, so I'm not willing to say this. he's gonna do it for six months, he could still get hurt. But if he has this season again, A, he's gonna win the MVP, which he should. B, he should win the damn Cy Young, which he should, thereby becoming yet another player who's done it. Thank you for that correction for all of you people live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson, YouTube, giving me the answers of all the different players who have done it. I had no recollection of all those players winning the Cy Young and the MVP, but I love that. But Otani, he's the best thing going right now for the Anaheim Angels. I think they won last night, but if you get a chance to watch Otani, please do, because he's gonna win by more than one and a half runs, and he did. Then we had the Cavs over the Knicks at the Garden. I am so tortured by what happened in 94 in the finals with Sam Cassell that I thought it would happen to the Knicks. That was so long ago. Who can remember? It's almost 30 years ago, for crying out loud. Meatloaf. So the Knicks beat the Cavs. We lost. We're 60 and 56. The Knicks won both at home. The Knicks are up 3-1. They're the five seed over the four seed Cavaliers. The Cavaliers just look terrible. They don't even... How did they get the four seed in the East? I mean, Donovan Mitchell looks to me like... I'd rather have Jalen Brunson, actually, than Donovan Mitchell. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I really would. So we're one and one. All right, we got two important games. Literally one block away from the Levitard Studios is American Airlines Arena. Ooh, 4869. Literally one block away from Levitard Studios is the Kai. And can you, is, hold on. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, that's the new name of. Yeah, that's the new name of the of the where the Heat play. Yes, it's the cut A side center. There's going to be a Heat game against Giannis and the Bucks. That's a one eight. 
The days of an eight beating one, it used to be very uncommon, but Giannis is hurt, and now what's happening is that the Heat have a chance to actually win this series. I'm not sure that they can, but they certainly have a chance to. The Bucks are favored by five and a half. Giannis has missed the last two games with a back contusion, or is he the one who has the butt contusion? One of them has a butt contusion, one has a back contusion. I think Jimmy Butler has the butt contusion and Giannis has the back contusion. Or maybe it's the other way around. Who knows who's gonna play? Everything's a game time decision right now. We're taking the Bucks five and a half over the heat because Giannis needs to play. There's a slate in baseball. I wanna talk about a player who we have talked about plenty, uh, Chris Sale. We have criticized John Henry and his crew for signing that extension. There was no reason to. They got pressured into it. They gave in to the media crush, the fan crush, and he has been a disastrous sign. It seems as though he is getting himself healthy again, and he has looked better the last start than he has in what I would say a year or two. Uh, he is pitching tonight, and I view him pitching now as not a absolute win, but I'm looking at the value. They're playing against the Orioles. The Orioles, who are a surprise team again, although they shouldn't be. They're a good young team. They're 14-7 and seven right now. Baseball is upside down at the moment. It's April. I would not draw any conclusions. We will talk about it as we get into May about which teams actually have a chance to sustain. The Orioles do have a chance, but Chris Sale is a better pitcher. Chris Sale is only giving 115 to the upstart, fantastic Orioles, and the Red Sox are in last place but I'm taking Chris Sale, minus 115. Those are the picks of the day. Tomorrow when we're here, we'll sort of update what happened in the studio today. We'll talk about some other topics that we didn't get to today. I really wanted to get to what's going on in Pittsburgh because what a great story when you can call up a player who's been in the minor leagues for that many years. We're gonna try to fit that into the show tomorrow for sure. In the meantime, have a good, safe day. It's just business. This has been a relatively uncomfortable Monday, but it's nothing personal.